Good evening, church. Uh, my name is Greg. I'm one of the pastors here at South Bay Community Church. You know, Martin Luther King Jr., he said, In the end, we will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence from our friends. And it's so important that right now we speak up and we raise our voices. And at the same time, I want to acknowledge that we have to be very careful with how we raise our voice and, and what we say. And I'll be the first to admit that for me, as I want to speak, there's so much I need to keep learning about. There's so many more conversations that I need to have. But, but I want to say this. I know a lot of people are raising their voices on social media. And maybe you've seen this past week, people post something like this. We, we posted it too. And my heart right now is not to get political. My heart right now is to get to the heart of what's behind this. You know, to say black lives matter does not negate the fact that all lives matter. I think we can all agree from a biblical perspective, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So we agree that all lives matter, but to say that black lives matter is, is to say that black lives matter too. To say black lives matter right now is to raise awareness and to raise an, an urgency to a very real reality that many blacks and African Americans are living with. It's to say specifically black lives need to matter now more than they do. Specifically to those who have been treating them like they don't. Specifically to those who haven't valued the lives of blacks or who haven't protected them with, with justice and with equity. If your life was under threat and we as a church family came to know of it, we would want to raise our voice for you too. Like when Pastor Gary was in the hospital and, and he had cancer. And we said, pray for Pastor Gary. That's not to say that no one else matters. It's not to say that all other cancer patients don't matter. It's to say, no, here's an urgent matter, and we want to bring attention to it. We want to raise our voice, and we want to raise our prayers. When we saw the shootings in Las Vegas, and as a church, we said, pray for Las Vegas. That's not to say Orlando doesn't matter or Santa Fe doesn't matter, or Sandy Hook doesn't matter. No, they matter, but we're bringing awareness to this thing that is happening right now that needs our prayers and our voices raised. And so as a church family, our heart is to speak up right now and say, yes, black lives do matter. They matter just as much as every other life matters, but they matter, and it's our way to make every effort to encourage the church to do the good that God has shown us to do, to act justly, to seek mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. That comes from Micah chapter 6, verse 8. You know, my wife, she notices this thing that I do. I sigh a lot. And sometimes I don't even realize it. She'll catch me. She goes, oh, no, what's wrong? You're doing it. And I'll go, what? She's like, you're sighing. And every time she catches me sighing, it's, it's always when I'm either frustrated or angry or bothered. <sighs> this week, I, I actually caught myself sighing a lot. Caught myself sighing a lot. Every time I saw another post, a, a picture depicting Officer Derek Chauvin with his knee on George Floyd's neck, I <sighs> sighed. 
Every time I saw another video after video after video of innocent people being brutally attacked, ruthlessly injured, I, I sighed. When I heard from a sister in our church that their family has been crying their hearts out, like literally crying out loud because of the pain that they're currently experiencing as a black family, I sighed. And it became too much for me. I had to shut everything off. I had to shut off social media and just I had to stop because I I couldn't deal with the sin and the wickedness that this world is revealing. And as I turned to the scriptures and I opened up the, the Bible to start preparing the message for this week, you know what happened when I started preparing? I sighed. I sighed because the Lord was convicting me. I sighed because you know what didn't burden me and disgust me this week? My sin. My own sin. And as as I was shaking my head all week, shaking my head at the sin and the wickedness of others, not to say it's not out there, I realized that I did very little confessing and repenting of the sin in me. And as we get to this passage that we're on today, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer and looking at it bit by bit and breaking it down. Today we come to Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, where Jesus teaches us, Father, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And I'm convicted because I'm reminded of the story when, when Jesus tells this parable of the Pharisee who he rebukes, right? Because this Pharisee's in the temple and he's praising God and he says, praise you, God. Thank you that I'm not an extortioner. Thank you, God, that I'm not an adulterer. Thank you, God, that I'm not like the tax collector. And Jesus says, actually, you should be like that tax collector, that tax collector who beats his breast begging for forgiveness when he realizes the sin in him. And Jesus says, that is the one who is justified. His is the kingdom. And so we want to look at this passage, and we want to ask the Lord to reveal to us our own hearts. And we want to learn to pray, Father, forgive me of my debt, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Would you guys join me in a word of prayer, and let's ask the Lord to teach us. And so, Father, we pray, hallowed be your name. God, we pray that we bring glory and and honor to your holiness. I pray that this message would do just that, that we would lift up your name because of how hallowed and holy it is. God, we pray your kingdom come, your will be done. As we look at what's going on in the world today, there's no greater cry right now than to pray that your kingship come to people's hearts, that you would reign in us, that you would replace the culture of this world with your kingdom culture. God, we need your kingdom here on earth. Give us this day our daily bread. Thank you so much for providing for us everything. Every one of us watching right now, you allowed us to wake up this morning. You provided us breath. You provided us life. Everyone watching right now, you provided us internet. Thank you, God, for your daily provisions. And now, God, we ask that you would teach us what it means to ask for forgiveness of our debt as we forgive our debtors. Speak to us, God. Speak to us now. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we give you our hearts and our minds, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. And so it seems pretty straightforward, right? Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Pretty straightforward. As often as we pray for daily bread, which is daily, we ought to ask for his forgiveness daily. But, but check this out. Look at the qualifier for this petition, right? Look at it really quick. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. If you're taking notes or if you have a physical Bible, you might want to circle that word as. That is an important as in this prayer. Because in the Greek language, which this was written in, which Jesus was probably speaking, that conjunction is... It's, it's like a simile. It could be translated like, introducing a simile. So it's as Jesus is teaching us, Father, forgive me like I forgive others. Forgive me in a similar manner in which I have been forgiving others. Now, when you think about that, that's a dangerous prayer. You know the golden rule where it's, it, it says to treat others the way you want to be treated? Well, what Jesus is teaching us to pray is kind of like that. Father, I want you to treat me in the way I treat others. I mean, think about it. Could, could you pray this right now? Could, could you pray this? It forces us to take inventory, to self-evaluate how well am I forgiving others. I mean, could, could you pray, Father, I've been bitter and holding this grudge against my boss, so... Be bitter and hold a grudge against me. Or God, I cannot show grace and kindness to my spouse, so don't you show grace and kindness to me. I couldn't pray that. But if I have been forgiving the debt of my coworker, then Father, would you forgive me the same? And, and this is the, the, the prayer Jesus is teaching us. And, and all of Jesus' teaching on the topic of forgiveness, you're going to see this, this correlation between vertical forgiveness and horizontal forgiveness. There is a direct relationship between the forgiveness we receive this way and the forgiveness we experience this way. And it's to say, if you truly understand the gospel, if you truly understand the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace that has been shown to you, how can you not forgive your brothers and sisters? And in the same way, if you have been forgiving your brothers and sisters because you've been transformed by the gospel, then you know you're experiencing forgiveness this way. And that's not to say it's necessarily conditional. I don't know if it's conditional, but I know it's characteristic. Our, our horizontal forgiveness is characteristic of someone who has truly experienced and understand the grace of Christ. We've been transformed by the gospel. So the question is, why is forgiveness so important to God among God's people? Why is it so important to him that we show and experience forgiveness? And I think the answer is because it sets people free. And our God is in the business of setting people free. So would you guys write this down if you're taking notes? Forgiveness sets people free. Forgiveness sets people free. Like li literally, in the Greek language, the word is afiemi. Afiemi. And that means to release, to untie someone, to let them go, to set them free. That's what's happening when you forgive. Let me, let me ask you. Have you ever had to 
set someone free? Have you ever had to let someone go who had committed an offense against you? I don't know what's been done to you. Maybe you've been backstabbed or thrown under the bus. Maybe you've had property taken from you, money stolen, abandoned. But have you ever had to release someone and let them go? When I was in high school, my best friend, like the closest friend I had in high school, his name was Dean. And uh, Dean broke up with his girlfriend after they had dated for a couple years. And over the next year or two, he had gone on to date other girls. And so I had convinced myself that, that my friend Dean must have moved on. His heart has moved on. And so I went on and I ended up breaking the bro code. I started having a relationship with his ex-girlfriend. And I, I, I must have convinced myself and she convinced herself that it, it was okay because he's dated other people and he's, he's elsewhere right now, but, but something inside of us must have known that it wasn't okay because we kept it a secret and we made sure not to let it get to him. Well, when Dean found out, he was furious. Like, he was so upset because he cared so much for both of us. We were some of the closest people in his lives and that we should go behind his back and, and do this behind his back. He felt betrayed. And so for this one particular week, it was the worst week of my high school life. Every night he would call us up late at night, sometimes 10, 11 p.m., sometimes 12 a.m., and he would say, come outside, I'm going to pick you up. So he'd drive and pick her up. He'd come to my house, pick me up. And then he would take us to a park here in Torrance. And would take us to an open field. And for about an hour or so, he would just grill us. He would lay into us. He would ask us questions. He would interrogate us. He would scream at us. And he would yell at us and tell us how badly we've hurt him. And every night we would sit there barely saying any words. We would sit there with our heads down in remorse and sorrow. We would listen many times with tears streaming down our face. Then he would take us home, drop us off, and then the next night it would happen again. Now, my friend Dean comes from a family of fighters. His dad was a, uh, a, a grandmaster in the Korean martial arts. Their family has been featured in, in uh, martial art magazines. I'm talking on the front cover. And so their family is not one to mess with. In fact, my friend Dean, even in high school, was a black belt instructor. You don't mess with Dean. In fact, if you got into a mess, if you got into trouble, you were seeking out Dean to, to be there with you. That's who Dean was. And yet, well, I remember one of those nights sitting in the field as he was just yelling at us and pouring his heart out. I was so remorseful over my actions. I told Dean, I said, Dean, listen, if I could ever make it up to you, if I could ever make it up, I'll, I'll just stand here. I'll be your punching bag, take it out on me, get all your frustration out, and I won't even fight back. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, he says, Greg, people have actually been telling me that that's what I should do. He says, Greg, you know I could break every bone in your body. He says, Greg, you know I could put you in the hospital for good for the rest of your life. And I go, I, I, I know. Right, because I, I knew that, and it scared the life out of me, but I was willing to do that. And then he says this, he says this, but there is no pain I can inflict on you that will hurt you as much as you've hurt me. He's like, it wouldn't even be worth it. 
And when he said that, I was like, oh, that was painful. To know how bad I've hurt him. Well, again, this went on every night. And then this one particular night at the end of the week, he called me up and he says, hey, Greg, I'm going to come pick you up. I want you to wait outside on your lawn for me. He says, you're going to be there? I said, yeah, I'm going to be there. He said, are you sure you're going to be outside? I said, yeah, I'm going to be there. And something about that conversation, something about his tone, something about his urgency told me something was about to go down that night. And I remember when I hung up the phone, I literally, I fell down on my knees and I just started praying for my life. I'm like, God, please protect me. Please don't let me die. Please be with me. I'm not crying because I was scared. And so I go out and I wait on my lawn. I'm just waiting for him. And as I look down the street, I see his headlights coming down the street. And he pulls up, he gets out of his car, and he walks up, and he doesn't even make eye contact with me. He just walks up, and he's looking down, and he stops about three feet in front of me. And he's got his jaws clenched. I look, and he's got his fist, like, just tight, white knuckle. And I'm standing there, and it felt like an eternity. He's just standing there, not saying anything, not doing anything, and I'm just bracing myself, just, just bracing myself, ready to take the first blow. Wondering what he's going to do and when he's going to do it. And he's just standing there. Then all of a sudden he swings both arms and he pulls me in. And he bear hugs me. And he throws his head into my shoulder. He says, I forgive you. I forgive you. I forgive you. I'm sorry to put you through that. I forgive you. I just had to get it all out. But I forgive you. I forgive you. And he's just weeping on my shoulder. And I'm standing here as he's holding me. I'm just looking up to the heavens and I'm like, Thank you, God. Like my life was spared and I all of a sudden just start breaking down and I'm holding him. And you got two guys holding each other crying on my lawn in the middle of the night. But I'm telling you, it was the first time I believe in my life that I felt the power, the tangible power of forgiveness. I, I, I saw the impact it has on a relationship. When you don't deserve it, but someone lets you go. And here's the crazy thing. From that point on, for the next year, our relationship, our friendship was closer than it had ever been. Why? Because I didn't take that friendship for granted. I treated him with deeper respect. Isn't it interesting that sometimes when you let someone go, how close they come? Sometimes when you release someone, set them free, they come even nearer. And it's no wonder why God sent his son Jesus to hang on the cross, to shed his blood, to rise from the grave, to forgive you of your sin, to set you free from the penalty that you owe. But why did he let you go? To bring you near. To draw you close. And because he let you go, he has brought you into a reconciled relationship with him if you would put your faith in him so our father he is in the business of setting people free he's in the business of setting people free and he calls his people to do the same now how, how do we do so because i realize forgiveness is not easy it's not easy but it is a decision and to truly forgive we have to decide at least three things i want to share with you three things we're doing when we truly forgive the first thing is this, you're deciding in your heart, I will not bring it up to the offender. Write that down. I will not bring it up to the offender. 
How many of you guys have ever had someone say to you that they forgive you? And yet, with every opportunity they, they have, it's almost like they jab it. They jab at you. They kind of bring it up tongue-in-cheek. Like, for example, if you crash into your spouse's car, and they say, I forgive you. But it's like every time you guys get back in the car, it's like they have to say something to remind you. They'll say, here, give me the keys. I'll drive. I don't want you to crash again. Or let me drive. I'm a lot safer. I don't drive as fast as you. And they always have to kind of jab you with it. And it's like, did you really forgive? And you realize with as many times as they bring it up to you, they haven't truly let it go. And so if you want to truly forgive, you have to make that decision in your heart. I will not bring it up to the offender anymore. But secondly, you, you have to decide in your heart, I will not bring it up to others anymore. Write that down. I will not bring it up to others anymore. Sometimes a good indication if you've really released it and let it go and you've forgiven the person is to ask yourself, how often am I bringing this up in conversations with other people? Because maybe you're, you're good at not bringing it up with the offender. You're, you're keeping it cool with the person who wronged you. But then you find yourself bringing it up with others almost as a way of payback to the one who's indebted to you. Hey, you know what? You know what, Sally? You know what she did? I mean, I, I've totally forgiven her. I, I've forgiven her. But I'm just warning you. I want to protect you. Be careful. Because, you know, she goes behind people's back. Don't you hate people who talk behind people's back? But she'll go behind your back. So be careful what you say to her. I mean, I've forgiven her. But be careful. And, and, and what we often do is we say you're forgiven of the debt you owe. But, in fact, we're trying to make them pay back without them knowing it. And we're trying to make them pay back by going around their back. And we're making them pay with a tarnished reputation. Or we're making them pay with the loss of trust with certain people. We're making them pay with the army of enemies against them. I want to say to you, if you truly, completely forgive, don't bring it up with the offender anymore. Decide in your heart, don't bring it up with others anymore. And number three, write this down. Decide in your heart, I will not bring it up to myself anymore. I will not bring it up to myself. And perhaps this is the reason why we bring it up to the offender or why we're tempted to bring it up with others because it keeps coming up inside of me. Right? In Matthew chapter 18, the disciple Peter goes to Jesus to ask about forgiveness. He asks us a question. And in Matthew chapter, 20, uh, chapter 18, verse 21 and 22, it says this. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times, Jesus. Now, pause right there. You have to understand that in the Jewish understanding, the number seven is a number of completeness, right? It's a number of perfection. So, so Peter is kind of showing off. He's kind of brown-nosing. Should I forgive seven times? Should I forgive completely? And Jesus comes back, shuts him down. In verse 22, Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. And the way that word is written in the original Greek language, it's 70 times seven times. Seventy sevens. Now, I, I did my math. I did my math. I, I did my work. Seventy times seven is 490. So what's Jesus teaching? Does that mean if your brother sins against you 490 times, each time you have to turn the other cheek, but on the 491st time, Peter, you're good. You beat that guy down. You take it out on him, right? No, not at all. Jesus 
is using hyperbole. He's making an extreme point, and the point is this. Peter, you're asking me, should you forgive completely? I tell you, no, you forgive completely and then some. Not seven times, Peter, but 77s. Completely, completely. Again and again. Forgive unceasingly. And so if a coworker lies to me, forgive him. But what if he takes my, my stuff? Forgive him again. But what if he talks behind my back? You forgive him again. What if he throws me under the bus? Forgive him again. And that, that's what I've always understood this application to be of this teaching of forgiving 70 times, 7 times, which I think is what God expects of us. I really do. But I'm beginning to learn that there's another powerful application of this teaching of Jesus to forgive 70 times, 7 times. There's another powerful application. See, after I graduated high school, I would... Um, I would, I would hear about all my high school friends still hanging out. And it was kind of weird to me because I don't ever remember getting a call and no one reached out to me. But I would see pictures and posts of all my friends hanging out and I wasn't there. I was wondering what was going on. Because sometimes they would invite me and call me out. And then a lot of times I'd notice I'm not there. And then I started to notice a pattern. I was noticing I would see in these pictures, Dean would be there. You know my best friend back in high school? Dean would be there, but I wouldn't be. And then when I was there, Dean wasn't there. And I started to notice this pattern, and then my friends all told me, hey, maybe you should talk to Dean. Maybe you should have a conversation with him. And so I called him up. I said, hey, Dean, what's up, man? And in that conversation, he told me, he says, honestly, I don't know why. He says, I can't, I, I can't do it. He says, for some reason, everything has been coming back to me. He says, every time I look at you, it just makes me sick in the stomach. He says, when I think about what you did to me back in high school, it just makes me nauseous, and I, I just can't do it. And he wasn't being mean about it. He was just being real with these feelings that were coming back. And we hung up the phone, and that was the last time I spoke with him. I haven't seen Dean in over 18 years. Here's what I realized. That sometimes a person needs to only hurt you once, but that hurt hurts really bad. And you can say to that person, I forgive you, and really mean it in that moment. With all your heart, really mean it. And though you mean it in that moment, the devil is real, and he's working, and he wants to remind you of it again tomorrow. And maybe the day after that, and maybe the day after that, or maybe a year after that. And maybe every year on its anniversary in the future. See, the devil is in the resurrection business. He's got no power to resurrect life. He doesn't have that kind of power, but he's in the resurrection business and that he loves to bring back bad memories. And if he could use that to destroy relationships and divide, he will do it. And so maybe when Jesus teaches us to forgive not seven times, but 70 times, seven times, maybe it's because complete forgiveness isn't always a nice and clean, once-in-a-moment decision that we'd like it to be. But maybe to forgive the same person over and over and over again is going to have to be a daily decision to let it go again and again and again. 
and again. And when that offense crawls back out of the grave and wants to rear its ugly head, or when that hurt comes back and wants to give you a heart attack, it's making a decision with the resurrection power of God. The Christ who lives in me, by the power of God, I'm going to bury it again and say, nope, not today. I have forgiven it. I've released it. I'm setting it free, and I'm forgiving again. I will not bring it up to myself anymore. So help me, God, because it's coming. But give me the power to release it again. See, forgiveness matters to God. It matters to God because it sets people free. And among all the people that it can set free, when you forgive, it sets you free. When I forgive, it sets me free. So write this down. Forgiveness sets me free. Forgiveness sets me free. Someone once said, and you might have heard this, forgiveness is setting a person free and realizing that person was you. Right? Forgiveness is letting a prisoner go and realizing the real prisoner was you. I want to show you a video, um, and as I show you this video, I want to ask a question. What do you do when a bear gets inside of your car? What would you do? Well, check out what this family did. Oh, my gosh, a bear just got in Dick's car. Yes, he's in the car. Yeah, we need to open the door so we can get out. Open the door. Why was the car door open? Off the horn. But you can't get out. We gotta open the door. We gotta get him out. Oh, somebody open the door. Gotta open the front. Open the front door. Open the front door. So if a bear got into your car, what would you do? It's, it's kind of scary, right? It's kind of crazy, the thought of going to, to set it free as much as you want to. It's not easy. It's, it's challenging. It's hard. You're, you're putting yourself at risk. And I asked you that because I was talking with my friend yesterday, my friend Jacob, and he was telling me about the time he went to Mammoth with his family. And they heard all this commotion outside of their cabin, and they looked outside, they saw their car shaking. They saw the lights going on and off, the alarm was going off, and they're thinking there's a thief in the car. But when they took a closer look, there was a bear in my friend Jacob's car. And I asked him, I said, what did you do? Did you go and release it? Did you go and set him free? He says, no, we just watched from the balcony. We just waited and watched until help came later on. Well, later on, help came. And this is what happened to my friend Jacob's car. Here is the inside of his Prius. Got completely destroyed. Here's another picture. Now on the outside, it looks all together. It looks good. It looks fine on the outside. But on the inside, it was completely thrashed and destroyed. 
Here's what the Bible teaches us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 and 27. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. How many of you guys know that a bear inside your car doesn't just sit nicely waiting for someone to release it? The bear is not going to sit nicely in the, in the driver's seat waiting for you to open the door to let it go. No, the bear is going to go to town on your car. And in the same way, how many of you guys know that when sin or anger or unforgiveness dwells in us, that the devil's not just going to sit there nicely? But that, that thing inside of us, that unforgiveness is going to destroy us on the inside. And, and right here in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, it says, Give no opportunity to the devil. That word can also be translated in other versions. You'll see it says, give no foothold to the devil. That opportunity is like the devil getting a foothold inside of your heart. And how many of you know that the devil only needs a foothold to be able to have a stronghold? He just needs to get a foothold to get a stronghold in your heart and in your life. And just like bears don't just sit nicely in a car, our our unforgiveness won't do so either. Our bitterness, our offense, our hurt, our pain will not sit there nicely. And forgiveness is this decision with the help of God to release the hurt and the offense made against me. Though it might be hard, though it might be scary, though there might be risk in offering forgiveness, God is calling us to release and set free that cancer in us. See, unforgiveness can be like a cancer, right? Because it oftentimes will spread and slowly destroy us. It's kind of like this. I, I like to use this example. Imagine with me visually that this is, uh, this is, it's like a tumor. And this is the resentment and the pain when a crime or an offense is committed against you. And Unforgiveness is like having this tumor the size of a soccer ball that we carry around with us. And we walk around with this on our shoulders or on our chest. And we try to pretend it's not there, but it's, it's a deadly tumor. And a lot of times we refuse to let it go. And when we do, we, we, we make excuses. And I've heard the rationa rationale before, and I've heard the excuses of why... People don't want to offer forgiveness, and oftentimes the excuse is because I, I can't forgive because it's too big. The, the pain is too much. The hurt is too much, so I, I can't forgive him. I can't let her go. And to that, I would say, really, that's why you don't want to let it go because it's too big? Isn't that exactly why we need to let it go? Isn't that exactly why we should work to set it free? to release it because it's, it's disrupting our lives. It's in the way and ruining the quality of our lives that God intends for us. Then some of us will say, well, well, I just need time. Like time will heal it. Time will heal it. And, and I understand sometimes we do need time, but if time is all we're relying on it for to heal, you know what time does? Let's test it. Let's see what time does. We'll just wait here. 
time isn't going to make it go away. And I could sit here for a year, I could sit here for five years, and I guarantee you it will still be here unless at some point in time I address it. And we know that over time, sometimes a cancerous tumor doesn't just stay the same size, and it surely isn't going to diminish on its own, but it often grows and often spreads. And so time is not going to do it. Then some of us say, well, no, no, I, I can't forgive him. I can't, I can't set her free because if I do, they're just going to do it again. I know how they are, so I'm not going to forgive. They're going to hurt me again. And to that, I would say, really? That's why you're not going to forgive? And so, so you, want, you want two of these now. You, you want two of these growing on you and on your chest and on your shoulders. They're not going to forgive you anyways. You're going to walk around with even greater hurt. So why not start releasing it and forgiving it? God calls us in the scriptures to offer forgiveness. And I know it's a hard thing to do. And some of us hate the fact that Christ commands us to forgive even these great grievances. But perhaps when God calls us to forgive, he's not trying to put a burden on you. But perhaps a good father is trying to relieve you of your burden. Perhaps our loving father is commanding you to forgive because he is in the business of setting captives free. And he wants you to set your debtor free so that you would be free indeed. God wants to set you free. In closing, you know what I realize when you carry offense. When you decide to carry a fence and hold on to a fence, you know what you can't carry? You, you can't carry a cross. You just can't. And yet, if you want to make a decision to carry a cross, you have to let go of the offense. And when you do, you have the ability to truly carry a cross. And Christ, who carried the cross for your shame, for your sin, for our offenses, he did so to set us free, and he wants us to be free indeed. That's why he shed his blood, he died on the cross, he hung there, and then rose from the grave so that you would be free indeed. But here's the beauty and the power of the gospel. Not only does he set you free from your penalties and the sins you committed, but the power of the gospel is we also have the ability to be set free from the sins committed against you against me. If we would just experience the Father's forgiveness and if we are truly transformed by for the forgiveness of our Father, how could we not forgive our brothers and sisters? And if we forgive our brothers and sisters and we do so diligently, then you know you've experienced the forgiveness of the Father. Would you guys... Join me in a time of prayer, and I want to lead you into just a quiet moment right now, and I want to ask you to, to really speak to God and allow His Holy Spirit to search your heart and talk to the Lord. Maybe have Him reveal to you sin in your own heart, something that you need to confess and ask the Lord for forgiveness over. Or perhaps He's going to convict you at this time of someone you need to show forgiveness to. Ask the Lord to put on your heart names and give, give you the strength to show forgiveness to someone else. And as we go into this time of quiet prayer, wherever you are, I want to share with you a post from 
a sister of ours here at South Bay Community Church, Rachel Hashimura, she, she posted on her Instagram, like so many others this week, she posted a blacked out screen. But what I love about her post in particular is her honest confession that she felt furious this week. She felt heartbroken and she felt convicted. And she said she was heartbroken and convicted over her own sin. And she continues to write how instead of being defensive, she wants to be repentant. She wants to be repentant. She wants to live differently. She wants to live like Jesus. And so as we pray, here's the worship that Rachel lifted up along with her post. As we spend a couple minutes talking to God, may we be reminded of the blood of Christ that sets us free. What can wash away our sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make us whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Father, make us like Jesus. I think about when Jesus hung on the cross as people were killing him unjustly, and he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. God, teach us to forgive like you. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to reveal in our hearts the sin that dwells within our own hearts. We know that change can't happen difference can't be made unless you start with the heart so God would you change us from within forgive us our sin help us to be not self-righteous but help us to be humble 
And Lord, I pray that you would help us to have the strength to forgive those who have committed sins against us. Those who are indebted to us, help us to forgive our debtors. Help us in the power of Christ and in the name of Jesus, let them go. And I pray that you would be bringing people near. That whole thing where you let someone go, they come near. I pray, Lord, that you would be building relationships all over in the name of Jesus. And I pray, most of all, relationships with with you would be the outcome. That many people will draw near to you when they experience the tangible power of forgiveness. So God, thank you. We love because you loved us first. We forgive because you forgive us first. And help us to walk in this power. We love you, God. We need you every single day. Thank you for the blood that washes our sins away. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.